Welcome to the latest episode of On The Case, this time looking at one of the most hotly anticipated decisions of the year, the Court of Appeal judgment in the combined appeals in Bank of New York Mellon International Limited versus Cine UK Limited and London Trocadero 2015 LLP versus Picturehouse Cinemas Limited and others. Joining me to discuss these cases is Guy Featherston Hall QC of Falcon Chambers, who, together with Elizabeth Fitzgerald, acted for the successful landlord respondent in Bank of New York Mellon. Welcome, Guy. Hello, Jess. Hello, hello. Now, uh, each of these cases uh, arises out of a background with which our listeners will be all too familiar. The COVID-19 pandemic, the government mandated lockdowns imposed on retail and leisure premises as a result, and the rent arrears that built up during the period that affected businesses were forced to close. Now, we know that um, many landlords and tenants successfully negotiated their way through those periods of difficulties, while many avenues of rent recovery, usually open to landlords, were put on hold by the government. Uh, those moratoria did leave one route open to landlords, uh, a straightforward court claim for payment of rent arrears. And that was the approach taken by the landlords in these cases. So, Guy, uh, can you just offer us a quick reminder of who the parties were in these uh, two cases, what the tenants argued by way of defence to these claims at first instance, and, and how the courts handled those cases last year? Okay, Jess, well, the landlords were different in each case. Uh, in Bank of New York, well, it was Bank of New York, um, and then it was a completely different landlord in London, Trocadero. Mm. The tenants were related, though. They were basically emanations of Cine UK, uh, so running cinemas. And um, plainly, cinemas were one of the things the government crunched down on. You know, mm -hmm. no, no worse way to get COVID than by being shut in a dark room for three hours together. So they couldn't trade for lengthy periods. Um, and uh, didn't pay their rent because they said mm -hmm. we pay our rent out of turnover. We haven't got any turnover. And you've got to have sympathy for that predicament. I mean, equally, landlords were saying, look, we're, we depend upon the rent, we're pension funds, we're, you know, whatever. Um, so there was a big standoff between the two. When the landlord sued for arrears of rent, the tenants and four of them on my side in the Bank of New York litigation were joined together. They raised a whole host of defences, not all the same. They argued frustration of the lease, which is something that is famous in English land law for being a possible way out of a lease. They argued that the government code really should operate so as to prevent landlords taking the route of saying for rent arrears if they hadn't tried um, to negotiate a solution. Uh, they argued, well, lots of things, really, but the, the primary difficult argument in our case was they said, look, we have to pay an insurance rent. The rent is payable in respect of the occurrence of insured risks. Insured risks in our leases are defined to include a COVID pandemic. And they were right. And uh, at first blush, that looks really a pretty plausible argument. You know, how come the tenants were saying we're paying rent for something which has occurred, but taking no benefit at all from it? Now, that fell apart, um, we saw from the course of a very good thorough judgment from Master Dagnall, because um, the insured risk admittedly did cover pandemic. But what the insurance covered was damage to the landlord's business. And damage mm -hmm. to the landlord's business only occurred when 
there was non-payment of rent uh, as a matter of causation, not just because the tenants chose not to pay. And the master said, well, you know, it was up to you tenants to arrange your own insurance. Um, you can't rely upon the rent cessor in your leases because that only operates in the case of physical damage or destruction to the premises, and that hasn't happened. So um, that was pretty much the end of the road for the tenants, or so we thought. Mm. Judgment was given <laughs> against all of them, but then came the uh, then came permission to appeal, not granted by Master Dagnall, but by uh, mm. another judge. And then all the cases were joined together. Our case with. Um, London Trocadero, which raised some of the same but slightly different issues, and all set uh, for the Court of Appeal. Uh, that's right, and uh, of course the the Court of Appeal uh, heard the case in June, um, and has, has now relatively swiftly given judgment. But what what uh, how did the arguments crystallise uh, before the Court of Appeal um, in that hearing? Well, it was fascinating, really. So they'd been distilled into um, a, a very small number of arguments. Mm. First, we had, in our case, the the same construction of the lease argument that the rent cessor provision um, may have said um, rent is suspended if there is damage or destruction to the premises. But they said in the circumstances, I think to use the phrase of my opponent, using our lived experience, we should be more generous about what those words meant, and it should be extended to include non-physical damage. And my opponent said, well, we have suffered non-physical damage because we haven't been able to trade. So that was one argument. That got fairly short shrift um, because, you know, the words damage or destruction really do mean physical. They can't mean anything else. And the way they were used in the lease in the context of reinstatement and all the rest of it made it very plain that we are looking at uh, something physical. Um, the, the second argument was um, implied term. And it was said that if the parties um, had been approached by somebody at the time they were negotiating their lease way back, and this was quite a long time ago, and had been asked, what if there is a COVID pandemic, which is pretty inconceivable, but not quite. What if that happens? Surely, surely the insurance provision should be extended by having a term in saying that in that event, there should be a suspension of rent. Um, so that was the implied term argument. And then similar to that, I mean, raising the same sort of arguments was th that there had been a total failure of basis in relation to part of the lease. So two elements there, total failure of basis and um, part of the lease. So the lease had to be severable for these purposes. Um, so lots of arguing on that. We were actually set down in the Court of Appeal for three days, but only took um, not even two. Um, and frankly, the Court of Appeal, pretty strong court with the Chancellor, Lord Justice Snowden and Sir Nicholas Patton, um, dealt, well, they had little patience, I think it's right to say, for the <laughs> arguments. In implied term, they said, look, the lease is quite a dense document negotiated between commercial parties. It's a very standard form lease. And the way in which it chose to allocate the risk for inability to use the premises was as set out in the lease. And if there's anything else, then tenant, that's down to you. And I always thought all the way through this case that that rather chimed with the fact that in the event of not being able to trade, what the tenant's really suffering is not 
having to pay rent. Um, I mean, that, sure, that goes on, but it's real hit is loss of turnover. Mm. And the tenant should have insured against that loss of turnover in the event of a pandemic. And of course, the rent would have been just a cost of earning the turnover, mm. which would have been swept up with that. So that really would have been the way out of this uh, for the tenant. But and lots of tenants, of course, did take out lots of business insurance, but um, but not these ones. Mm, I'm sure many more will do so uh, as a result of the experience of the last few years. So, um, as you said, it is a it's a robust uh, judgment from the Court of Appeal. And so, in your opinion, is this the end of the road um, for, for for any tenants looking to raise pandemic defences to to unpaid rent claims, or does there remain some possibility that the case may be considered by the Supreme Court? Oh, Jess, you know, I, I've been wrong so many times as a barrister <laughs> making forecasts like that. No, um, you know, the uh, um, I can't even remember whether the Court of Appeal were asked for permission to appeal to the Supreme Court. I think not. Um, and they wouldn't have given it had they been asked. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court anyway, um, in, in the words of one of their justices, likes to dine a la carte and likes choosing its own cases for appeal, mm. doesn't like the Court of Appeal telling it what it should be hearing. Um, I would have thought it would be completely uninterested in this case. But, you know, um, uh, let me not be foolish enough to say that that's, <laughs> that's yeah. going to happen no matter what. Um, I, yes, uh, against us were resourceful, um, skilled advocates who raised, I thought, every argument they could have done and indeed a few more besides so no i don't think that there are any other covid defenses that somebody might suddenly light upon and put forward i think we've had it so i think all the tenants who haven't paid their rent will either have to pay up now or take another route and we'll, we'll we'll come on to that in a moment i and yeah. um i i i don't think there's much surprise Uh, in the industry that the appeals in these cases were dismissed. But, uh, you know, for all that period that that an appeal is on foot, uh, there is inevitably always some uncertainty about what the the outcome will be. So these were two of, I believe, only three such um, pandemic rent arrears arrears cases that that reached judgment. Are there many similar actions that have been waiting in the wings pending the Court of Appeals decision? Gosh, yes. I mean, in chambers, we deal with lots of them, and um, I know there are there are very many. Mm. Um, so either cases where proceedings have been issued and are just sitting there waiting, mm-hmm. or ones where parties are sitting there, landlords wondering whether to issue. Um, and I think um, uh, I think there'll be quite a lot of action now, uh, not necessarily in court, but um, mm. you know behind the scenes compromises going on. And meanwhile, of course, uh, the Commercial Rent Coronavirus Act 2022 introduced the arbitration scheme uh, aimed at resolving many of these sort of outstanding uh, rent arrears disputes uh, over lockdown periods between landlords and tenants. But it's fair to say that things have been a little bit quiet under the scheme thus far, isn't it? Um, It's astonishing, really, because um, the approved arbitration bodies un- under the act and there are seven of them work quite closely with government swapping ideas about what the numbers coming forward were likely to be mm. and the government's own impact statement thought initially that there'd be seven and a half thousand cases it mo- modified that down to a, a couple of thousand so far 
um, the numbers are, are tiny and in chambers because we're one of the arbitration bodies. We've seen six. Um, uh, others, I think RICS might have seen a similar number. Um, the others, one or two each, if that. Um, all I can think is that um, tenants may have think thought they've seen the writing on the wall, although I don't think they have, because no award so far has tackled the issue at the heart of the Commercial Rent Coronavirus Act. You know, should relief be granted in these particular mm. circumstances? There's, there's been no decision to that effect yet. It's mainly been procedural. Um, maybe they think that it's just generally bad news and they'll have to either pay up or go out of business. Um, or maybe they're all waiting and now their wait is at an end because they will have seen the Court of Appeal decision. Mm. But if that's right, there's going to be an awful rush on because the ability to refer comes to an end on the 23rd of September. And before that, you've got to have taken about a month's worth of procedural steps. So really, mm. the end of this month is when they need to act. So it might be a busy August or it might be a damp squib. And uh, perhaps not ideal for for busy property lawyers who've been relying on August as a nice holiday period. <laughs> I think I think the pandemic has all got us very used to working um, any time, really. You know, all you need is a laptop wherever you are. You know, Hawaii, Barbados, doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, and so, so one way or another, I mean, do you think uh, that we will now see the remaining disputes between landlords and tenants over COVID lockdown rent arrears resolved uh, either in court action or, or, or through a, a rush to the arbitration scheme by the end of 2022? Or, or do you foresee these rows rumbling on into 2023? Um, well, so if an arbitration is launched at the last moment, so say on the 22nd of September 2022, then I suppose it might linger on till 2023. But um, I mean, the, the six month window for making an mm. application for arbitration is extendable by the Secretary of State. But I think that there's really little prospect of that happening. Mm. Uh, I think Secretary of State, especially looking at the um, the tiny numbers that have come forward so far might well take the view that this was an act that was a great deal of trouble for very little. And what's mm. the point of extending it? Because nobody's really been <laughs> using it. Yeah. Whoever the Secretary of State may be at that moment in time. Yeah, of quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much, Guy, uh, for joining me uh, to discuss uh, the outcome of uh, the, the appeals in Bank of New York, Maryland and Trocadero. Huge pleasure, Jess. Uh, and to those of you at home, you have been listening to On the Case from EG.